In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Today, I would like to invite you to be attentive to God's upward call. God is speaking to every single believer here this morning, and God is saying to you, come journey with me to a place of real life and joy and peace. Well, let me invite you to uh, take out this handout, if you would, please. And I'd like for us to think together about this marvelous letter of Paul to the Philippians. If you've been paying attention, this is our New Testament lesson. Philippians has been our New Testament lesson over the last few weeks. And I'd like to invite you first to turn your minds to the recipients of this letter. Who were they? Who were the people that Paul was writing to? Well, they were the proud, the strong, and the free citizens of a mighty kingdom. Well, that's easy enough to understand. Those shoes seem to fit us pretty well, don't they? But they were also men and women, boys and girls, who had encountered another kingdom. By grace, through faith, they had received a different citizenship, a citizenship in heaven. And Paul says that that citizenship trumps all others. And therefore, you Philippians, you live like citizens of heaven. With that for an introduction then, let's take a quick look at the outline of this life-changing letter. Of course, when you belong to one kingdom and then you switch your allegiance over to another kingdom, you want to be real sure that the new kingdom is going to be victorious over your old alliance and your old citizenship, don't you? And that's what Paul implies in chapter 1 of Philippians. I've given you the outline there. This new kingdom is on the move, he says. The kingdom is unstoppable because its tactics are so subversive. The more fiercely that the earth resists the kingdom, the more effectively God's kingdom actually spreads. As Paul writes the letter, he's in chains. But, as we mentioned before, at the other end of that chain are Roman soldiers. And by that means, it turns out that Paul was able to preach to the entire household of Caesar. Do you catch the irony? The powerless overcome the powerful. Then in chapter 2, Paul illustrates how peculiar this kingdom is. Dr. David talked about that last week. In God's kingdom, the most humble rule. Those who belong to this kingdom imitate their king, King Jesus. Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul's application in chapter 2 then is this. So, you proud, powerful, strong Philippians, you imitate Christ. Then in chapter 3, Paul anticipates the very next thing the Philippians are going to say. 
Well, how in the world can we imitate Jesus? Look at the world around us. It's all about power and conquest and strength. I'll show you how, says Paul. You Philippians imitate me. Look at verse 317. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have seen in your leaders as they follow Christ. Finally, in chapter 4 then, Paul promises that the result of living this kind of life is joy and peace. Well then, what was the example that Paul left for the Philippians to follow? Let's take a closer look now at chapter 3, and let's find out what that was. I'll give you a paraphrase of it, all right? This is the reversed Baldwin translation. Look, you Philippians are a pretty fancy people. You are Roman citizens, which places you in the top 3% of all the world's population. Now, at least one of you is a highly placed city official. Remember the Philippian jailer? And at least one of you is a wealthy merchant with a large house. And yes, some of you have some pretty fancy Jewish friends. But, look at verse 4. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Paul was a Roman citizen, and he was born that way. His father was renowned in the city that he came from. And as for those fancy Jewish friends of theirs, well, Paul kept the law better than any of them. And he could say, I truly am a big deal. My credentials are superior to anybody's. But, look at verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Brothers and sisters, here's the problem. You can't hang on to being a big deal and take a hold of Christ. Let me see if I can illustrate that. I'm sure you've had this experience. I have it almost every day. You get out of your car to go to work, right? And pretty soon you have 14 items in your hand. Your laptop, change, lunch, two magazines, three dishes and a spoon that are supposed to go back to the kitchen, two paper bags, a hammer, a box of nails, and the dog leash. And there you stand in front of the door trying to figure out how in the world are you going to get the door open? you got all that stuff in your hands. Well, you know what? You don't have a choice. If you're going to go through the door, you got to lay something down. And it's exactly the same on your spiritual journey. First of all, there's a comparison to be made. A weighing up of gains and losses. That's why Paul says in verse 8b, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now that's pretty dramatic. 
Note that the word rubbish here, in the original language, it would have sounded like this to a Greek speaker. All that stuff, it's just a bunch of crap. Did I just say that in church? But the reckoning up is not optional because after reckoning up the sums, a transaction has to be made. The losses must be chosen if the gains are to be acquired. But let's stop here for a minute. In what sense does Paul mean the loss of all things? Does he really mean that all the loving energy of a mother, all the creativity of artists and musicians, all the technology that seems to make mankind's life so much better, all the patient endurance of the hard-working farmer, and yes, men, all the happy memories of a good dove hunt and all the joys of deer season, are they just meaningless trash? And a waste of time. Now, I confess to you that this passage has bothered me for a very, very long time. I think of all the labor that I have invested in my life, in the military, in family, and in friends, well, for that matter, in the church. Paul, do you really mean that all that is just vanity and a waste of time? Now, something doesn't seem right about that. Well, that's what I used to think the passage said. All those things are just waste. And I could never quite get my head around it. Then I looked with new eyes and I made a wonderful little discovery. What's going on in this passage? The metaphor of Philippians chapter 3 is that of a journey, perhaps even a sea voyage. Look at what Paul says there in verse 11. He says, I suffered the loss of all things that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, the word attain here means to reach a goal on a journey. This same word is used nine times in the book of Acts and often about Paul and Luke's sea voyages. You see, Paul thought of his life, he thought of the Christian life as being on a journey. And every journey has a goal, right? It has a goal to obtain. If you don't have a goal for your journey, you're just wandering around. You're not on a journey, you're lost. The purpose of the journey is to reach the most marvelous, fantastic, glorious kingdom that is beyond comparison to anything that you and I have ever known before. The goal of the journey is to set sail from the place called death and land in the place called life itself. 
Now, friends, it is inevitable when you take a journey that some things must be left behind or dumped out along the way. In verse 13a, Paul says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made the goal my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Paul says, I'm not there yet. I haven't reached the goal. But so that I can, I forget what lies behind. Now stick with me here. This is the part I didn't understand. See, there are things that you and I leave behind. And some of them are pink bunnies and white elephants. Toys that serve us or amuse us for a season. And then, as last week proved, it's yard sale time. But among the other things left behind are some precious treasures. And you leave them behind not because they're not meaningful or valuable, but because you will not finish your journey if you try and take them with you. Now in Acts 27, we read about Paul's sea voyage, his voyage to Rome. And great storms pounded their ship. At one point, they went without food for a very long time because the galley, the kitchen, you see, on a Roman ship was up on the deck exposed to all the raging elements. Paul and everyone on board stood on the very verge of injury and loss. <laughs> By the way, that's the very same word in the Philippians passage. Injury and loss. But Paul took heart because God had promised that not only he, but all those with him would finish the journey. But you know what? To do so, they had to jettison the cargo or they would never make it. Now, why did they dump 400 tons of grain overboard? Well, obviously not because the grain itself was not valuable. Not because their mission to feed Rome was unimportant. It was. Rome was a city of a million people and had gotten so large that all of Italy could not feed Rome. The importation of grain was a matter of life and death to the Roman Empire. Yet, had they not left behind their cargo in the sea, they would not have completed their journey at all. They would have lost their lives far from the goal. The traveler who would complete his or her journey must leave things behind. And at the same time, verse 13b says, they must strain forward to what lies ahead. Friends, our goal is resurrection to newness of life in the kingdom of God. And as verse 14 says, our navigation and guide is the upward call of God. So I ask you this morning, fellow travelers, 
Where are you in your journey? Are you pressing toward the goal? Or are you lost in the woods, floating helpless on the high seas? Now this is what Christian perfection means, pressing on toward the goal. So I ask you again, how far along are you in your journey? Young people, have you ever heard the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Are you ready to set out on the high seas that he has for you? Are you still just sitting there in the harbor? Would you even know the call if you heard it? Do you have a life verse to be your chart and your guide? I found my life verse 46 years ago. Ask me about it sometime. Young mothers, are you letting the upward call of God sustain you in this difficult season of life? Surrounded by those precious little ones, do you feel trapped in a very small boat? Trapped among diapers and runny noses and fussy toddlers? Do you have those days when you're tempted to think that those little ones would be an ideal cargo to jettison overboard? At least for a few precious hours of peace. Well, hang in there. Hear the upward call, because the next port is not so far away. Your life will soon change. And you will receive the text from your 30-year-old children that says, Mom, I think I'm beginning to understand all that you sacrificed for me. Fathers, middle-aged men, does it seem to you like the ship that you're in is a slave galley? Endless days of rowing and rowing and backbreaking work. And you know what? Below decks, the scenery never changes. Well, hear the upward call of your navigator. He stands on the deck above. He knows that a true land lies ahead, and he knows exactly how to get there, though many storms yet must be encountered. But it is his ship, and it is his ways. So men, settle down. Take the long view. Acquit yourself like a man, because your navigator knows how to navigate those stormy seas unfailingly. Older folks, hear me. You have accomplished many things. There is much that you could boast of with sincerity. In your journey, you have attained to many a port. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul asked you this morning, will you continue in your journey? Are you leaving your past behind so you can reach the true prize which lies at the end of the upward call? Yes, the past was good, 
but you need to let it slip behind in the wake. Those things that aren't pink bunnies and white elephants, God will gather them up and he'll have them waiting for you when you make your goal. But the question for you this morning is this. What does the Lord have for you now? So here's my story. Out there appearing over my horizon sometime is a port called retirement. I'm not quite sure when I will attain to it. The wind and the waves, they control the timing of such things, don't they? But it's out there. From where I now stand, I can see it at a distance. And you know what? It'd be easy to think that's the goal of my journey. Rest in a rocking chair. But the upward call of God says no. Retirement is only another brief stopping point along the way. There will indeed be cargo to offload, but there will be new cargo to bring on board. And the navigator and his call will remain the same. Therefore, Shirley and I have committed ourselves that whenever the day of retirement comes, if God allows, we're planning to spend two more years as missionaries overseas, wherever God will have us. Friends, the journey takes new tacks and new courses, but the goal always remains the same. The upward call never ceases. So where are you in your journey this morning? Amen.